One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. Screen time, screen time. Hello, and welcome to It's My Screen Time Too, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters, we watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone, voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's four, and Kenny, he's one. And I have three kids, Tony is nine, and Libby and Nate are six. They are so adorable. We, of course, are witty and incisive pelt pop culture consumers but in addition we are moms too and we like to start off by telling a quick story about how awesome or awful our kids have been lately how about you katie it's my dearest hope that jay is finally entering that mythical stage of childhood where he really enjoys helping with things Mm. and he has told me recently that he wants jobs around the house So we've given him a couple simple jobs. So he gets to do things like feed the dog in the evening, and he has to do things like tidy up his room, pretty standard stuff. But he has been super clear that he will not have his list of jobs include dressing himself. Like you still have to dress him? Yeah. Like he is Mary from The Secret Garden and is like, how do I dress myself? (laughs) He can do it. Like, not just putting, like, buttons are hard for a little kid. No, not just buttons. But, like, he won't even, he won't even slip on, like, his uh, athletic pants. Nope. With the elastic waistband. And he has in the past, like, he's gone through, he's dressed himself just fine for quite some time, but recently he's decided that he just, he he's not doing it anymore. Oh my gosh, you should, like, um... Those high-powered corporate job moms put him to bed in his clothes so you don't have to even deal. I did read about that. In the morning. <laughs> well, good, good luck. Thanks. How about your kids? <laughs> so I love to listen in when my kids are playing pretend games because I find their pretend dialogue so amusing. And my all three were playing really nicely yesterday. And I was listening in, but they were like, they had each taken on like this character or persona and they were describing how they were going to pretend cyber bully one another. <laughs> what? <laughs> it was so weird. They were like a sample dialogue would be like, I snuck into your room last night and I took a video of you sleeping and then I posted it on Instagram. <laughs> Oh my so goodness. I don't know where this is coming from. I don't didn't even know they knew what Instagram was. Well, yeah, so it's because you make Instagram breakfasts for Libby. Oh gosh, that's yes, that's right. <laughs> um, super funny, but also like slightly disturbing. But they knew that it was wrong. Mm-hmm to be like taking a video against with somebody's will and putting it on the internet. They knew that was like a bad thing. Yeah, because there always has to be a villain in kids pretend games, right? 
I kind of right. love that like cyberbullying is the new like old lady who runs the orphanage that you're trapped in or like whatever games you used to play as a kid. Right. right. Anyway, it was like a very 21st century digital nav- native form of pretend play. That is hilarious. <laughs> So, speaking of digital natives, should we move on to our screen time in the news? This week, we read an article from Greenwich Time, and it was um, Greenwich Parents Want Data on Screen Time in School. If you want to read this article, you do have to like sign up for their newsletter, but you can very quickly unsubscribe from it. So, this was all about how parents went to the latest school board meeting in this community and they want like data on how much time their students are spending on screens because they're not sure that the research shows that like elementary school kids actually need computers or iPads in order to learn. Yeah, it was really interesting because it it was able to come off as an article that wasn't wholly about parental panic. And it addressed some of the gradations about screen time that, you know, those APA guidelines just kind of gloss over. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a very legitimate concern because I feel like not that long ago schools had to really tout the technology that they were using in the classrooms like it was important to have smart boards and it's important to have one-to-one like computers or laptops for middle school students but now I think there's kind of a backlash to all, all that screen time in schools and I am with these parents I would like to know total how much time my kids spend on like watching stuff because mm-hmm. after school, I'll ask them, like, what did you do at school today in a variety of different ways? And the one thing that sticks is I'm like, what did you watch today? And they always have an answer. They either watched, like, a Mystery Doug video or a Go Noodle song or they read a book on Raz Kids. And remember when Libby watched, like, the whole Netflix Our Planet show in kindergarten? Oh. <laughs> It's interesting because they talk in the article about how one of the arguments for using tech in schools is individualized lesson plans, right? A kid who's working Mm -hmm. on an iPad can move at his or her own pace. But then some of the parents are describing the classrooms even as young as kindergarten, and these kids are just sucked into their individual devices. So it's not mm-hmm. even like they're sitting there as a class and like watching a video together. It's that they're totally so they're totally siloed into these individualized work environments, which have I missed the boat? But I thought that early childhood education was a lot about learning how to interact with other humans. I get it for like indoor recess. It would make sense to show like a cosmic kids yoga video, for example. (laughs) So the class can move together, but I don't see the benefit to having a bunch of little kids each on their own screen. It kind of makes me sad. Yeah. It kind of crossed the line 
between giving them this technology so they gain facility with it, which let's face it, doesn't mm-hmm. take very much. Like they don't need to be on a tablet a lot to understand how a tablet works. So that argument for me falls through pretty quickly into just relying on it instead of teaching. Right. Yeah. I don't know, but I totally agree. I think that there was a backlash against, or there has been a backlash against, oh, we measure how good the school is by whether or not every six-year-old has an iPad. And I think one of the parents quoted in the article has their own website with some information. There was an organization that seemed to be associated with this concern. So we'll link to it. Let us know, listeners, what you think. iPads, yay, or iPads, nay, in kindergarten. Yeah, and what age is good? At what age are you comfortable having that much technology in the classroom? Never? Mm -hmm. Always? Do you have any follow-up from last week? So I have yet to watch a fall TV show (laughs) for (laughs) grown-ups. Although I did finally start watching Avengers Endgame four months too late. So how far did you get into it? 30 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So you can finish it in four nights. Yep. So today we are talking about a new Netflix series called Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And I just have to say, am I the only one immediately put in mind of the new Star Wars ride that they're making at Disney World called Rise of the Resistance? It seems since both of these companies are owned by Disney, like they could have done something (laughs) about that uh, problematic crossover. Right. And it also like all the resistance label makes me think of like anti-Trump sentiments. Oh, Topical. Okay, so this show just premiered in August of 2019. It is a 10-episode prequel series to the 1982 cult classic movie The Dark Crystal. And the series is a co-production of Jim Henson Company and Netflix. And when I said they were both owned by Disney, I meant the Jim Henson Company is owned by Disney. Obviously, Disney does not own Netflix. So the characters in the movie are complicated puppets. They're really intricately made. I read a fun fact that the ones in the series only take two people to operate, whereas the ones in the original movie took four people to operate. That was according to Wikipedia, so who knows if it's actually true, but I thought it was interesting. So this is a really complex, dense fantasy series. So I'm not going to get too in-depth into the plot summary. Just the general setup is this. There is this race of being called Gelflings. They live on the planet Thra under the control of these terrifying vulture-like creatures called Skeksis. They're kind of like just complacent about the role that Skeksis play in ruling their lives until... There are three Gelflings that live in like three different cities and their names are, am I going to pronounce this right? Rian, Brea, and Deet. So they are the three main characters that are kind of having an awakening to how evil the Skeksis are and they are presumably going to start the titular resistance. We picked this because I loved this movie as a kid and it also terrified me. And I just, I find myself really drawn to the idea of movies and TV shows that teach kids how to be scared. Yeah, it's being scared in a safe Mm -hmm. 
environment because nothing is actually going to hurt you. Oh, yeah. That's what I meant. Not like teach your child to live in terror. Oh, my gosh. That maybe came out sounding wrong. (laughs) No, I I totally knew what you meant. Okay. My kids are really scared by stuff that doesn't seem that scary. So this particular show is way too dark for my kids. Well, I, I do know of children who like scary stuff mm-hmm. and like to be scared so it's not for everybody but it is for some people all right let's see if it's for us we watched only the first two episodes because the episodes were really quite long they each clocked in at 45 minutes to an hour so we watched episode one which was called end begin all the same and episode two that was called nothing is simple anymore So as usual, we'll start by going through the episodes one by one, and then we will move on to our more general thoughts. Deborah, would you like to take us through and begin all the same? Yes. So this episode begins with an overview of the planet Thra and how it was guarded by a being called Agra. But then when the Skeksis arrived on Thra, they basically distracted Agra by building her um, a really a complicated way of seeing into the cosmos. So she was preoccupied with uh, the galaxies around her and stopped basically protecting the dark crystal. Deet, one of those main Gelfling characters, gets a message from a, like an underground tree about something called the darkening. She goes to the queen of the Gelflings, or a queen, um, who then sends her Deet to deliver a message to the leader of the Gelflings. There's also a tithing ceremony where one of the princesses gets suspicious about what the Skeksis are up to, and she starts to do some research. And then Rion? I think so. The Gelfling guard and his girlfriend, Mira, are kind of poking around. They see, like, a giant spider, and try to chase and capture it but then they accidentally discover what the Skeksis are doing which is basically sucking the life force out of the crystal crystals so the Skeksis can live forever but then the planet Thra will die and then at the very end the Skeksis spoiler alert mm-hmm. big spoiler they use the crystal to turn Mira into like a life juice <laughs> and they drink it mm-hmm so that they may live eternally. It was pretty terrifying. It was heavy and it was so complicated. Mm-hmm. And I watched the uh, like intro to the planet Thra several times. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's kind of typical for big fantasy epics, right? They have a complicated world. And if you look on this, if you look at this as like a Game of Thronesy kind of series, that makes sense. Like you're expecting that kind of data dump, but I definitely wasn't expecting it with a kid series. No. Or like when you open, is it the Hobbit that has like the map mm-hmm. and everything? And you're like, okay, <laughs> this is going to need a lot of concentration. It was definitely a lot of information up front. And like I said, I had seen The Dark Crystal, the movie, approximately a bajillion times as a child. 
but it's been so long that I really didn't remember very much. I thought mm-hmm. about rewatching it, but I just didn't have time, to be honest. There was no, like, thought-out reason why I didn't. <laughs> yeah, and that's also on Netflix, right? The original movie? I think so. So you could enjoy this prequel series and then finish it off with the movie? If I had time to sit down and watch 10 episodes of television plus a movie. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so at the end of the pilot, we saw our three heroes... Rianne, Deet, and Brea kind of having their individual awakenings. Deet is being sucked out of her underground Gelfling world by a tree so she can go to the above ground Gelfling world and warn them about the darkening. And Rianne is trying to escape the castle because the Skeksis saw him watching them suck the life force out of Mira and they want to catch him so he can't tell everyone that they're actually horrible. And Brea is trying to figure out what her vision means. So they're all on these three separate paths, but they're collectively realizing that there's something wrong with the Skeksis. Uh, Deet (laughs) meets, she's, So she's trying to go to the capital of the Gelflings and tell them this stuff. So she meets this little podling, this creature called a podling, which just looks like a tiny, less well-formed version of a Gelfling (laughs) that Mm -hmm. doesn't speak a coherent language. And she decides to team up with this podling on her journey to the Gelfling capital because she doesn't know where she's going. They are on this this quest to get to the capital and Rian is he's enlisted his friend to try and get him out of the castle but they're also going to try and steal the last little vial of Mira's life juice. Brea goes to see the head of like the seafaring Gelflings. The Skeksis are really mad at the scientist Skeksi who made the life juice sucker because they find out that he let Rian get the vial of Mira's life juice. Wow, it sounds complicated even coming out of my mouth. So the end of the episode <laughs> is like them caging him and having a little bug eat his eyeballs out. Did I cover everything? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Oh, man, it was complicated. Like, you can definitely tell they're setting it up for these three characters to come together as, like, one fighting force. But for now, it's, like, a lot of disparate plot elements. Right. It's a lot to be introduced to. I did think in this episode there were more cute things like the little fuzzy animal that Deet encounters Mm -hmm. when she's like in the forest. They were really cute. And like the little podling, like his face was kind of like a walnut (laughs) (laughs) and his voice was adorable. So there was a little, there were more lighter moments, Mm -hmm. which was a nice contrast to all like the Skeksis are really ugly. Mm -hmm. Like one of the Skeksis has like pushed, pustules on her face that are like constantly weeping and she has to like wipe them away it's like really viscerally disgusting yeah imagery but you can all I could also see that maybe being put in to make kids laugh because there was one moment where the Skeksy with the pustules was leaning over to talk to Brea and you can't see me why am I acting this out like a huge drip of pus is like just getting closer and closer to Brea's face (laughs) yeah 
really gross. I think they did try and insert a few moments of levity, but it definitely did not rise to the the tone of lighthearted in any way. No, it's a pretty serious concept for sure. So we established last week that you have not seen the original Dark Crystal movie, right? Never even heard of it, but I mentioned it to my husband and he was excited because he remembered watching it as a kid. Oh, yay. So did he watch these episodes with you? That was the plan, but you know, it's football season. Oh, right, right, right. Mm -hmm. I also watched these on Monday night while Kevin was watching football. (laughs) (laughs) So did you go into it with any expectations? Did you know what, uh, what you were getting into when you started watching it? Not at all, except that it was on by Jim Henson and I loved Jim Henson stuff when I was a kid like I was Fraggle Rock's number one fan (laughs) when I was I don't know like five (laughs) I loved it I looked forward to it so much yeah this is actually the second Jim Henson production we've reviewed the last one interestingly it was much different it was Sid the Science Kid So this is a huge departure from that. We've already talked a lot about how dark the tone is, but also just the intricacy of the world. Just everywhere you turn is another elaborate puppet fleshing out this world. It's really visually impressive. Yeah, I liked watching it just for the aesthetics, for sure. But were you put off at all by the plot? Like, do you... Do you read or watch big fantasy epics? Do you like those kind of books that start with the maps that have complicated worlds? Honestly, I do not. Fantasy is not my thing. Mm -hmm. I have this friend who is in my Friends of the Library group, and she doesn't read any contemporary fiction because she says that, why would I want to read about the world in which I live? And so she's all about like, anything like historical or fantasy, sci-fi, and I have the opposite approach, I guess. Mm -hmm. I really only like to like read contemporary fiction. That makes you feel bad about the state of humanity. Yeah, I'm with your friends. (laughs) Genre fiction all the way. (laughs) So I knew I was going to have to work a little harder than usual on this. And I really tried it. Like I said, I watched the intro a couple of times. Mm. I was you know, referencing IMDb. I was really trying hard to tell like the different Skeksis apart. That was difficult. Uh And some of the Gelflings even looked very similar. So to really grasp it, I think I would need to watch each episode more than once. Wow. Which doesn't appeal to me as a, you know, parent who's a little short on entertainment time. So do you feel like despite these issues with the complication of the plot did you enjoy it were you entertained yeah yeah I was entertained I I was into it how about you because you are more of a fantasy game of thrones type yeah plot wise I was sucked in you know it's sort of a classic hero's tale like the best fantasy and sci-fi it has some relevance to our current world having to do with the dangers of complacency and just believing whole cloth what those in power tell you. So I always appreciate those illusions. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure for me, however, that the puppetry technology, which is 
stunning. And the super complicated in-depth plot were a very good match. Does that make any sense? Yeah. No matter how complicated and beautiful your puppets are, you're never going to get the full nuance of every emotion on their face. There's a level of suspended disbelief that you go into any fantasy anything with, but I feel like that was stretched particularly far in this show. That's a really good point, and I definitely saw the limitations of the puppets with the facial expressions. All right, listeners, we have our favorite co-host here. Kenny is sitting on my lap now, so if you hear anything weird, that's what that is. It's never me making weird sounds. Never. No, never. (laughs) (laughs) So, Katie and Kenny, instead of puppets, would you have rather watched real actors or animation or even remember that Ethan Hawke movie, Waking Life? Which is like, I have feelings about rotoscope technology and they are not good. (laughs) Um, Here's the thing, though. No, because I love the retro throwback craftsmanship of the puppetry. So Mm -hmm. while I'm not 100% sure that it was up to the heavy lifting of the plot, I still Mm -hmm. appreciated it and you know, I like the big swing. I do. I think, you know, they really tried and they ended up making something beautiful. And I would still watch it. I don't know. And I was also wondering if you thought at any point that it was disadvantaged by being in HD. Oh, gosh, I hadn't put a single thought to it. Maybe. Because Fraggle Rock was maybe more believable, and I'm sure the film back then wasn't as, was way more forgiving Yeah, HD. It was a lot darker. That's a good point. I was actually talking to someone last night about the penultimate episode of Game of Thrones, which they were talking about how awesome it was because there was this big dragon fight sequence in the sky. And I was arguing that it was actually horrible because, at least the way our TV rendered it, you couldn't see anything. It was just dark blobs Mm -hmm. on more dark blobs. And as I was watching The Dark Crystal, I couldn't help but think I could use more dark blobs. Like... I want the shadows to be shadowier, even if that means I don't get like quite as many little tiny beautiful background puppets. Yeah, like you want to scrim over the top of everything. (laughs) So did you find that because you were so preoccupied by trying to disentangle the plot, like you just weren't, you didn't have the headspace to be thinking about it in any other way? Like were you hit on any sort of emotional level by this? Um, One thing that I really liked and was surprised by was the Gelfling's ability to dream fast. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. Um, I would almost want to watch them again because I feel like I was watching it feeling the pressure of getting everybody's names and what they're doing and the plot Mm -hmm. intricately down. Um, But dream fasting is like they can hold hands and then share a memory 
like either something that happened with them together or Rion shares the memory of what it looked like when Mira was turned into life juice uh, <laughs> with his fellow guard to like give him that information. And it was so like a point of credibility. Um, yeah, it's like a really quick way to know that someone's telling the truth about something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that was a super cool detail in the plot and just the fantasy world. Can we, this is another aside. Some of the characters had accents. Like that friend had like an Australian accent. And then the other Galflians had like just American accents. I just thought they were all British. Um, I didn't think the accents all matched anyway. Do you want to talk about voice actors? Oh, yeah. This is like a stacked cast. Yeah. The intro started out narrated by a Sigourney Weaver, which was pretty incredible, I think. There were so many actors on IMDb, but then at the credits, there's like often two actors attributed to one character. So it's hard to tell which one of those two actors is playing that character. Oh, it's because they credit the voice actor and the main puppeteer. Never mind. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. So the puppeteer is like the person I didn't recognize. Right. Probably in most but cases, like, yes. Aquafina. So it's always Aquafina's voice. Okay. That yes. makes total sense. Um. So Kevin Clash is one of the big names. Uh, Keegan-Michael Key, like I already said, Aquafina. Mark Hamill. And they're all Skeksis, right? I have to admit that when I was watching, I couldn't tell the difference. No, like they're all acting with their voices. I read that Aquafina and Simon Pegg and Oscar Isaacs were all Skeksis, but I couldn't have told you which. Except for maybe Oscar Isaacs as the emperor. Yeah, either. But the Gelflings were a little easier to differentiate for me. The voice of Rian is Taryn Edgerton, who just did the Elton John biopic. Did you see that? Rocket Man? I have not. Neither have I. Did you find any of the characters particularly appealing or annoying? My main complaint would be that it was kind of hard to tell the Gelflings apart. I don't know why they had to make the two girl gelflings like the two main girl gelflings three actually if you count mira they're all blonde and blue-eyed like right we know there are other gelflings with different eye colors and different hair colors why right. not just kenny didn't like it either <laughs> you didn't like it either you didn't like it either do you want to take some tissues out of a tissue box i just sat him down with a full box of tissues that he can destroy Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was frustrated that they had to make them all with long blonde hair because it made them harder to tell apart. At least until Deet turned green, in which case she was easier to tell apart. Yeah, I thought that the podling was really adorable, but I thought that the language he was speaking, like that language barrier is, is going to get old. Yeah, and also I found the podling to be the most problematic from a Oh my gosh, that is so obviously a puppet perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
like there was this whole scene where the Agra woke up from her travels in the cosmos Mm -hmm. and it showed like her poddling servant waking up and putting on his shoes and eating breakfast and it was just so this is what Kermit the Frog would look like if he were sitting down and eating breakfast like basically smashing oatmeal around his mouth yeah yeah (laughs) and like sticking his little fake puppet feet into shoes that you can tell are fake puppet feet that don't actually bear any weight (laughs) <laughs> it was it was like it was a weird moment to include. Mm-hmm. I guess it kind of felt like they were simultaneously emphasizing the fact that these were puppets and de-emphasizing it. And as strange as it was, I guess I'm not really sure if I really minded. Yeah, I think they were definitely showcasing the artistry of what they can do, which makes sense. And it was really visually stunning. Yeah. It- it's a definitive statement. This is art, and this is not meant to be photorealistic, but it's mm-hmm. still going to be a beautiful story, which is kind of mm-hmm. awesome. Like, who needs mm-hmm. you, James Cameron, and your complicated Avatar film techniques? Because we <laughs> right. are telling this beautiful, intricate story with puppets that look like puppets. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes analog ways are best. Were you able to compare this to any adult movie or TV show? Honestly, anything I've ever read about the Koch brothers (laughs) made me draw a parallel between our current geopolitical catastrophe Mm -hmm. and what's happening with the Skeksis on planet Thra. Yeah. Um, Also the Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely right about the obvious parallels between the plot and our current geopolitical situation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, as I was watching it, obviously the most recent parallel that I sort of glommed onto was Game of Thrones. But technology-wise, I did find myself comparing it to Avatar a lot because I feel like it was the opposite of Avatar. Instead of trying to create a totally real alien universe, they sat and stewed in the fact that it wasn't real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like that more. Yeah. Did you cast the gritty HBO reboot? There are so many shows that could benefit from really artistic puppetry I think (laughs) like I mean let's just redo girls (laughs) or the deuce how about you were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot well as with a lot of animated shows with talented voice casts I wouldn't be opposed to seeing a live action remake in which these actors are actually playing the role, but then I wouldn't get to see mm-hmm. the awesome puppets, which is also not appealing to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. In a certain way, I think if they had just reduced those moments of kind of goofy puppetry and leaned more into the this is a really dark story for grown ups, I mm-hmm. think that would have satisfied my desire for a gritty HBO reboot. Sure. Now, this is a tricky one because you haven't seen the original movie, but was it better when we were kids? I think for the kind of child I was, Fraggle Rock was definitely better for me when I was a kid. (laughs) How about you? 
I haven't watched this new show with any actual kids, but I know that as a kid, the original movie terrified me. The Skeksis Mm -hmm. were right up there with the Wheelers from Return to Oz in my nightmare playbook. And as I said before about the technology and the HD camera work, I think the puppets were really well served by sort of like the grainy, dark visuals that came with the VHS tape that I was watching it on. It was more shadowy and more ominous. And I just didn't feel that from this. But I don't know if that was purely the result of the technology or just because I am not a child anymore. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I think for me, it was better when we were kids, too. Mm hmm. Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? I, after football season, <laughs> I think this could definitely be a show that uh, Jeremy and I watched together after the kids go to bed. Mm-hmm. I am curious as to how it turns out, and I will close my eyes for all of the eyeball-eating bug scenes. Yeah. This is one of those moments when I kind of just want to fast-forward six years until Jay is a little bit older. Because I definitely mm-hmm. don't think it's good for his age now. And again, we talk so much yeah. about how little grown-up entertainment time we have. I would hesitate to watch it alone just because I feel like there is definite possibility that I will watch it with my kids at some point someday. So that brings us right to 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids. Personally, not my kids, but like my friend Amy, who's uh been a guest on this podcast like her kids are like I think they're 11 and 13 and big readers and so I could see where that age and type of kid could get into this yeah for sure definitely I think my kids are not old enough or uh and they're they're just too scaredy cat for this type of show (laughs) I think what is the appropriate age like or not appropriate what is the recommended reading age for the hobbit because i feel like once you're old enough for that you're old enough for this yeah i don't know maybe 10 or enough or 12 and up yeah listeners mm-hmm. if you know for sure let us know and if any of you <laughs> have attempted to watch the dark crystal age of resistance not rise of resistance like the star wars ride with your kids let us know <laughs> kenny is rapidly reaching the end of his rope uh should we go to ratings Sure. What would you give it? I feel like there are two very distinct levels on which I consider it. But I was still so tickled by the experience of watching it. I got to go four, maybe 4.5. How about you? Okay. I would give it 4.5 just through the puppetry alone. I thought it was just amazing. Oh, yeah. We can't emphasize enough how meticulous the craftsmanship is on this guys it's I mean even if it doesn't sound like your cup of tea to watch just look at some still photos it's pretty stinking amazing yeah (laughs) or just watch that like two minute intro on the first episode to just get a taste of it yeah thank you so much for listening to this episode of it's my screen time too please rate and review us on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts You can check out our website at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on Facebook to continue the conversation at facebook.com slash myscreentime2. And we 
post what we're covering in our next episode if you want to watch along with us. You can tweet us with show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments at, at MyScreenTime2. We have an email address. It is MyScreenTime2 at gmail.com. And our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children. And our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye. Bye. Screen time. Screen time. Screen time. Screen time.